Hey listeners, welcome to the podcast Passionately Smashing with me, your host, Ali Fernandez. This is the podcast where we encourage you, Gen Z, to live the most passionate life you can and smash every single expectation in your wake. Today, I am joined by one of my absolute best friends, former co-workers. We've agreed and thought about so much together, and I'm so excited to have her on. This is Nikki, and different from some of the other podcasts I've had, we're experimenting a little. I'm not going to read a blurb. I'm instead going to allow her to introduce herself. Go ahead. Hi, guys. I'm Nikki. I go by she, her. I am a 23, soon to be 24-year-old black woman. Um, A little bit about me, I found myself teaching alongside the amazing, illustrious Alex (laughs) Alexis Fernandez. (laughs) Um, Love Allie. Um, And yeah, I am really passionate about interior design. I'm really passionate about Black people. I'm really passionate about Mm. equity and liberation and freedom. Um, So yeah, that's Those are some important things. Those are some important things to be focused on right now. That's absolutely necessary and always necessary, but I think really placing an explicit focus on liberation as part of one's identity and goals is something we're hopefully going to be seeing more of as folks get older and get more aware and media gets better. Yeah, and not even just liberation from the systems that uh, oppress us day to day, but just Mm -hmm. liberation from our own minds, our own crippling self-doubt, our own (laughs) insecurities, our own, you know, thoughts that we're just not good enough. Liberation from that as well, I feel like is super important. Yeah, I hear that. Like, unless you can free your own mind and your own spirit, like what hope do you have of freeing your body and changing your material conditions. Exactly. Like if your if your mind is still captured by the, you know, dominating, like being dominated, mm-hmm. it it's impossible to imagine. And I think that's one of the most mm-hmm. important things, being able to imagine yourself free, imagine yourself liberated, imagine the world liberated. And that's something that's very scary for a lot of people. Most definitely. It's it's the to put it into words, we grew up, I'm sure you've had this experience as well, women of color, having mm. so many uh conflicts with um loving ourselves, loving our appearance, loving who we mm-hmm. are, our bodies, our hair, our skin complexion, whatever it might be. Right? If we didn't do the personal work to liberate ourselves from that self-hate. It's like, what can I bring to this world? What could I bring to the table to liberate the young girls that come after me to do anything if I'm still holding on to the same ideals that oppress us? If I'm still upholding the same constraints that are like, like keeping my mind in a cage where it can't go Mm -hmm. anywhere. And you know, what's crazy about what you just said is (laughs) what's crazy about what you just said. It's so true. It's as you get older, if you don't liberate yourself, you can be the subject of that oppression and then turn around and go oppress people just like you. Like some 
of the most memorable oppressors in my life who have been most invested in making sure I stay within certain confines have been other women of color, teachers, people in my community, like saying like, no, you can't do that. You can't, you know, go outside these parameters. This is our area. Like, this is how we act. This is who we are as defined by white, straight, cis dudes. Exactly. And that's why it's so important that the work starts from yourself uh, mm-hmm. before you can get on a soapbox and start screaming at the world about X, Y, and mm-hmm. Z. It, it really starts from within because you will really fail to li- uh, realize how how much you perpetuate the same system. Mm-hmm. Um, and then so, you just yeah. end up looking stupid. Right. <laughs> and that's just mm, nasty, embarrassing. No, and, I, and, I, and I think about people who don't take like an intersectional approach to liberation, like don't take it all the way down to the roots of mm-hmm. capitalism and white supremacy mm-hmm. and are like, okay, I'm going to focus on this very specific issue and get all righteous about it and then turn around and say some other. <laughs> yeah, I'll bleep that <laughs> out. Don't worry. I'll bleep that out. You know what? <laughs> oh, are you not allowed to put curse words on that? <laughs> On the podcast? I am, but I have to mark it as explicit, and that limits the audience, which is what I I don't want. And it also doesn't allow me to, you know, ching-ching once I Ah. get to that level. Yeah. Okay. We all want to make our money out here. Listen, we're all I mean, (laughs) as much as we can, you know, talk blank about capitalism, (laughs) it's it's the the water we we live in. It's the air we breathe. Yeah. It's the water we swim in. Yeah. Got it. Right. But honestly, one way that I've looked at it is modern media is incredible in the way that if I'm very conscientious about it, I can potentially make money. And by make money, I mean take money out the pockets of people who might otherwise have you know, some level of power over me or an interest in exploiting others. I can take money out of their pockets by talking about this kind of message and Mm -hmm. enrich myself and keep this platform up. And that's a very slippery slope, which is one that I'm very conscientious of because I'm sure you've seen the hashtag activists. Like, Mm -hmm. it, it can turn very quickly from creating a platform to make change and also support yourself to making money in less conscientious ways. And that's something that I struggle with quite frequently, especially, you know, as as someone who wants to be a leader, you know, you want to be a leader in what you do. And, but being an activist, it's so many times I've seen people let leadership roles go to their head when it comes to activism and start to, enrich themselves without really taking into account the necessity of collective liberation Mm -hmm. and just using community members not as you know community members but as step stools to become the brown face the female face the queer face and that would be such a interesting podcast uh to do as well like just uh, calling leadership out. <laughs> and activism in the age of mm-hmm. like social media and clout chasing mm-hmm. and the uh, I I could go down a rabbit hole talking about the hashtag. No, let's talk about activists. it. Let's talk oh, about goodness. it. This podcast is about leadership. Let's talk about it. 
I mean, I, I am so, 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 so here for folks who are utilizing social media in the best way possible to mm-hmm. share information, share the message, get it out there. Um, but I feel like the the very current repost activism culture that is prevalent on Instagram right now is mm. just, I feel like it's very detrimental. It puts up like this false sense of, um, I'm not even quite sure what the word is, but it just puts up this false sense of, I guess, security to like make you think that you're doing something because you've reposted mm-hmm. on Instagram today when in actuality, the least of what, like, <laughs> like your 800 followers saw your post maybe not even 800 the instagram algorithm only shows your stuff to like what 10 10%. 20 percent yeah exactly so you've reposted this and then now what so me personally i just i'll repost here and there if it's something that i i think that is actually going to to unlock a different thought process in someone's mind exactly um, but the, the I have some people on my Instagram that will just like repost all day and they they really I don't I mean I can't speak for anybody but like I don't know if they really think they're doing something you're like you're reposting yeah. to people who agree with you I don't exactly like I don't post on Instagram because I'll, I'll repost like graphics and things like that mm-hmm. because I'm not but I'm not posting for my other leftist friends who know this stuff I know they yeah. know this stuff I know the black people that I follow and I'm friends with know this stuff but who don't know this stuff and get really annoyed when I post it but have to see it anyway mm-hmm. is my white family and my mm. you know all those people who also follow me, that's what that's who I'm thinking about when I'm posting this, yeah. like with the language. But it's funny that these performative activists, if they had that white family, I would take a good gamble that they would not be posting that because that's going to create some uncomfortable ass conversations. Mm-hmm. And they don't want that. They just want to show off to their leftist friends like CC. I know stuff, too. Mm-hmm. And that's not leadership. <laughs> oh. And that's not leadership. Like they think like. Leadership is hard and it's uncomfortable conversations and but it's important for us to be leaders in our families and leaders in our communities, even without titles, even without, you know, clout. It's like you have a sphere of influence, whether your sphere of influence is two people or 20 people or 200 people. You have a sphere of influence that you can control. I think that might be part of the problem, though. I Mm. personally feel like there's a lot of people who aren't stepping up to take the lead to organize mobilize or do whatever Mm -hmm. it is that we need to do because it may not come with clout or maybe they don't have the clout Mm -hmm. a lot of people feel like oh well who's gonna listen to me or you know I'm just so and so like I'm not really anybody and so there's a lot of people who aren't doing anything at all because it's not gonna come with that clout it's not gonna come with Mm. that title it's not gonna come with a nice pretty name it's not gonna come with a verified button on your instagram Mm. page oh you're getting Um, tight now (laughs) you came for the verified button (laughs) you came for the blue check i feel like that's why we're just in this like oh but that's why that's why we're in this freaking whirlpool of just repost 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 no one actually wants to step up and I say this as somebody who myself isn't stepping up um but yeah here we I are. I mean you're a black woman in the United States I feel like you surviving and thriving and building in the way that you are is resistance enough Facts. like I think it's up to the white people and like the non-black people like myself and my community included to stick our necks out a little bit for you guys oh well I appreciate that 
I think it's really the the work of everybody and the work is going to look different in different ways for everyone like you said there might be some folks who like your existence is the resistance um -hmm. and there are some folks who need to be more vocal and there are some folks who need to open up that wallet (laughs) (laughs) but then again like opening up the wallet doesn't come with the cloud it doesn't come with the you know it's not nearly as exciting as (laughs) oh my god posting that although they tried they tried. They tried to make the donation thing uh, uh, like, uh, ooh, look at me. Oh, my gosh. Oh, I had ew. some folks on my Instagram that were, like, posting screenshots of their donations, and they were like, oh, match me. Match me. I mean, okay, like- I get where I get where the match me idea comes from, but also private message that. Like, why yeah. would you put that on your story? I mean, I don't – I think it would have been cool if you were like, hey, guys, I just donated to this – such and such fundraiser it's really right. great this is the cause you guys should donate too but in the sense of like ooh, look at me i just donated x amount of money what about you yeah that's that's messed up i think Party. that um mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I, <laughs> I think it's like because people do care about the receipts right people care yeah. about the proof that you are actually in it so they might be ris- misrepresenting that idea is oh unless i actually post a screenshot of what i did mm-hmm. people might not believe it but then mm-hmm. again being obsessed with with whether or not people actually believe that you did the thing that's already centering you mm-hmm. that's already yeah. centering the wrong idea yeah. Like you shouldn't care if like they believe you that you donated or not. You should spread the word about the charity. And if you donated, great. And then shut shut up about it. Like unpopular opinion though. I, I, I mean, love this unpopular ties opinions. <laughs> this ties back into the capital capitalism that we were speaking on. But I, I truly don't feel as though it is the responsibility. I mean, I'm no philosopher now, so please excuse me <laughs> if I'm wrong. But I personally don't feel as though it is the responsibility of us, the working class, the Mm. proletariat, to be donating to the causes that oppress us. It's like, this is so ass back. I mean, excuse me. This is so backwards. That's backwards. (laughs) No, but literally all of us broke people are like spinning the same dollar around and around and around and around, passing the same dollar back. And like, meanwhile, money to free myself. What? <laughs> that ass. What? The little no, coins that's I do when you have? But that's when you get into the scary ideas, right? That's when you get into the like, oh, well, then how do we access this wealth? And it's like, well, in France, a couple centuries ago, they had this thing where, <laughs> hmm? you know, French Revolution, you know, off with No, but <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm not, I'm not advocating murder on this podcast. Oh, people who I give mean, money to the podcasts, please. <laughs> I, I mean, I would go off the record to say, but <laughs> we're gonna keep it PG. No, but in yeah. all seriousness, like directing the anger towards the one percent, directing the anger towards the capitalist owning class, like that's the only way. Like I remember, I was like, remember when um after immediately after George Floyd was murdered. And a lot of those revolutions started to spring up in Minneapolis. You know, they looted the Target. Mm-hmm. They, I, I prefer to talk about it. They liberated the objects from the Target. But anyway, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, all of, the, all of that started. And 
people were showing more empathy for the corporations than they were for the fact that these communities have been so systemically disenfranchised and this man just lost his life. Yeah. But I think like people, some, you know what the issue is? People have been taught to empathize with the 1%. People don't see themselves as the working class or the proletariat. They see themselves as future billionaires. If Mm. I work hard enough, I will be Jeff Bezos. I will Mm -hmm. be Mark Zuckerberg. So they have this (laughs) false, they have this (laughs) false sense of class solidarity with their oppressors. And that leads them to turn around and defend them against their own self-interests. And this, the psychology of that is something that has always fascinated me. Like, why are you sitting here bootlicking? Like, you like the taste of leather? Like, mm. I don't understand. Here's an idea. How about we get the 1% to work for us? <gasps> Shocking. But seriously. That would oh. be incredible. You know, I remember seeing the funniest tweet the other day. It was, when Jeff Bezos goes to hell, he is going to have to work the exact like he's going to have to work the exact number of hours that if working minimum wage would make him the fortune he has today oh he'll be doing minimum wage eternity eternity (laughs) like he's gonna have to work a minimum wage job until he makes the amount of money and this is also including rent and taking care of a family so his wealth is disgusting it's it's actual it's actually gross Like, I can't even fathom, like, shout out to all of the amazing math and tech wizards who make those visuals to represent just how grand his wealth Mm -hmm. is. I hate math, but those visuals. Yeah, it's like, I look at it and I'm just like, are you serious? And I, but I still, I still can't really comprehend it fully. Like, the visual helps. But imagine seeing that kind of money in your bank account and the man still... Mm. doesn't do anything no but seriously though what what can you do with that Um, like i don't even know what i would spend a million dollars on let alone billions and billions of dollars like like chilling there like a dragon (laughs) like but it's it's so interesting that you bring up how we do we can't really comprehend the immense amount of wealth that these people possess because I, the government plays with this idea too. And I noticed that because I saw these two tweets. I keep, I, I spend a lot of time on Twitter, mm. <laughs> but I the saw these two quarantine. tweets. I saw these two tweets where one tweet was talking about Pentagon spending on some <gasps> war yeah. nonsense, war nonsense. And they wrote the number 73 B. Mm-hmm. Like $73 billion. Mm-hmm. And then after that, another government agency wrote about how much money, like healthcare, like was costing the taxpayers, like for COVID relief or something like that. And it, it was also like, it was in the millions of dollars, but they wrote it out fully, like mm-hmm. three zero 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 zero, And yep. the... And they play with the fact that we, you know, do not perceive these large numbers well in order to serve themselves. And people do not realize how freaking diabolical the owning the ownership class is. Like, mm-hmm. 
I it's on purpose. Well. It's all on purpose. It's all on purpose. I saw that as well. It's definitely on purpose. And I mean, uh, I, I really hate this. I've been dealing with it and I've been fighting with it. But it really just makes me want to throw my hands up and just say F it. Because at this point in the game, what options do we have? We have working class people who are screaming, literally screaming mm-hmm. to the point of losing their voice in the street. Because mm-hmm. that's that's what we have. <laughs> we mm-hmm. have the goddamn street outside. We have mm-hmm. nothing more than that. And we have us, you know, spending our $50 here, our spare $10 there. We have these digital petitions. And Which don't that do about sums Jack it up. Really. Right. Change. That about sums org. it up. Yeah. And then there are these huge media conglomerates that own mm-hmm. essentially all of the publications, all the news, everything, who can skew it and present it in the way that they want, um, write it in the way in which it pushes whatever narrative that they choose. We have Bezos, billionaire out here who doesn't want to even drop a dime. And it's like, mm, okay. <laughs> well, no, for real. So where do you see the role of leadership then if things are so dire, which I agree that things are very dire for the working class right now. Like what kind of leadership do you think we're missing or how does leadership need to change? I think, well, for one, we have folks with money not doing Mm. what they should do and Mm. In the society that we live in, money is power. You can't move. You can't do. You can't say much if -hmm. you don't have the money to back it up. Unfortunately, Mm -hmm. that's just the situation. We've had some some wins, obviously, with our petitions of people from the working class. Definitely have had some wins. But that has taken months and months and months. And the win is still, in my opinion, quite small. I mean, mm-hmm. it's fantastic that they're going to reopen the case um, of you know, Elijah McClain oh, Elijah or Rihanna Taylor. That's fantastic. And I'm excited that they are reopening the case. However, it doesn't stop there. And I feel like in terms of celebrities or just other folks that have immense wealth, mm-hmm. like your cute little montage, black and white video, it's... That's not, it's not doing anything. Not, not doing anything for me. Um, Your large corporation, you know, putting out t-shirts that say Black Lives Matter on it. It's um, cute, but no, not doing anything. So in my personal opinion, I feel as though those with wealth need to take up a much larger role mm-hmm. in leadership and in activism. Mm-hmm. And then when it comes to us working class folk, um, leadership needs to get more organized. Um, I'd say it needs to get a little bit more. I'm not quite sure, honestly. I find to me not sure. Like it, these are questions that are so entrenched and so hard and I think one of the things what you were saying made me think of you know the black and white videos the like meaningless Mm -hmm. little statements right here right on Morris Avenue in the Bronx 
they put a big like street mural that said Black Lives Matter. And yet along that very same street, there's black homeless people. There's so many like black people going hungry, black people not able to feed their children, black people getting sick. And it's Mm -hmm. like if black lives mattered so much that you were going to paint this mural on the street. Why don't they matter enough for you to house them, clothe them, feed them, pay them? Like, that's what I don't understand. I don't understand it. I I feel as though... Is it the responsibility of the working class to come up with their own solutions and their own problems? Yes, of course. Right, because the like, other guys ain't going to do it. Because they're, they're gonna, definitely not going to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Power doesn't... like the, they don't it doesn't concede itself. Mm-hmm. It's a very frustrating thing. But then it comes to the like the actualization of these plans and of these ideas. Like we mm-hmm. can come up with all the ideas in the world. How do we actually make it happen? Like how do we actually end homelessness? How do we actually eradicate uh, you know, poverty and children being hungry and poor like how without the funds? How do we do it? And to me, it makes me think like, okay, this is going to take more than us publishing on social media about the problems that we have. Right. It's going to take us actually, again, going to the street because that's all we have and not going to the street to protest because we can scream at the rich people outside and we can scream at them online to do something. That doesn't mean that they're actually going to do anything. No, they don't got it. They're chilling. Yeah, it's going to come down to like, in your community, are you going to congregate? Are you going to, I mean, I know COVID is a situation right now, yeah. but to, in some way, you can do a Zoom to congregate and organize mm-hmm. and think and discuss and plan. Like, it's going to take people actually coming together to, like, bring our minds together to do research, to plan, to actually mm-hmm. make any type of difference, I feel. And, like, there's nobody stepping up or multiple people stepping up to do that, like start some type of program in your area to get that going. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's what leadership would look like, but I'm yeah, not. I, I guess the leaders that we'll need, like I don't even know if they've been born yet. I don't even know if, like, you know, I think about this all the time. You know how the pro-life people are always like, oh, that baby you killed could have cured cancer, blah, 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 some Mm-hmm. What I always think about is, wow, the person who could have saved the world might be dying of hunger right now or might have not been able to access proper sex and has AIDS and is about to die. Or, you know what I mean? Like the person who could have saved the world was just killed by a police officer or sentenced to life in jail for, you know, stealing something when they were 12. Like, that's what I think about all the time. And... It's very it's a very dark place for your brain to go. You know? Most definitely. But Ooh. I think I know, right? But I think, you know, part of liberating yourself, you know, is getting like acknowledging those things and then like, all right, how can I infuse joy as well into the movement? How, you know, how can we celebrate those who are still here, celebrate those who are still alive? You know how they say, like, give us your flowers while we're still here. Mm-hmm. Give us our flowers while we're still here. Like, that. that's also what I think about. And, you know, how do we 
make sure the people who are still doing the work are getting their flowers. Yeah. I also think about like the the much smaller leaders. I think mm. in this day and age because of like the internet and social media connects us, but it also separates us at the same time. Mm. Um especially mm. now when we're at home and and we are all very distant even if you may be down the street from somebody, it's still difficult to come together. Um mm-hmm. but I did I did hear this little quote the other day and it was like I can do hard things if I take small steps oh I like that yeah and it it made me think about like maybe the answer isn't trying to be the leader of the nation and like congregate all people of color across the world to Mm. you know bring us together maybe I just need to be the leader in my house I just need to be the leader Mm. of my my brother and sisters my family my close friends um, I know somebody. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know somebody who was talking about building a tribe, and I was like, "Hmm, we don't really do that anymore. <laughs> like, nah. tribes or something that's like a little bit more archaic and a little bit more ancient. But if you could build a tribe and build the liberation, the freedom, the equity, the wealth within your own tribe, and that mm-hmm. was done all around." with everyone that could could do a little something something I mean I'm not saying Mm. it's going to end police brutality by any means but it could do something you know what that makes me think of yeah Black Wall Street Mm. yes (laughs) no for real and that's why everyone's afraid to even try anything at this point but I digress no but (sighs) that makes me think of Black Wall Street that makes me think of literally disinvesting your energy from fighting these huge global structures and just investing in your community. Mm-hmm. But again, it's like, we did that. We, we tried to divest, mm-hmm. we tried to invest in ourselves and then they came after us. And so mm-hmm. at this point we have a lot of black folks who think that their only option is to try to play the game. Right. And they don't want to create their own game. They don't want to create their own, um, you know, just their own systems, their own structure, their own communities. Um, mm-hmm. and, and it's out of fear, which is very unfortunate. But again, that goes back to liberation of the mind is how we can free ourselves first. Because if fear is what's going to hold you down and hold you back, then you're not leading, you're following. And mm-hmm. we're all stuck. Right, we're all stuck. And and the funny thing is, you know, it's a lot more comfortable to be a follower. Like, you don't have to take the rap for anything. Because, you know, as much as we make fun of the blue check activists, like, and they're getting their coin, and they're probably not as bothered by it, but, like, on the flip side, they also catch a lot of the flack. Like, mm-hmm. if you say something truly messed up, they're going to come for you in the New York Times or wherever, yeah. you know? Yeah. So, you know what they say, like, you, if you stand for nothing, you'll fall for anything. Like, mm-hmm. I think that's what people are afraid of is saying the wrong thing. And that kind of, there's a level of fragility to it. Like, I cannot stand the book White Fragility. And I think it's just another example of, like, privilege and practice. But it is true that, like, there's a fragility in the way, like, people are more scared of being corrected or people are more scared of being God forbid, canceled. Mm-hmm. 
than they are of white supremacy. And that is privilege. Like (laughs) that's a part of leadership. No, like the possibility of doing something terrible, the possibility of making the wrong choice, the possibility of it getting canceled. That's the role of a leader. It's not to say that to to be a leader and to go into leadership that you will be perfect and you have it all planned out and you're going to make every single right step. But to be a leader is to say that you're going to go forward and you're going to go forward fearlessly and Mm -hmm. try to shake the room. Right. And I think if at your core you are conscious of that and you are listening to people around you and you keep your guiding light, like ending that system and keep continue educating yourself, like the ways that you will mess up are not the same way that people who get canceled, canceled mess up. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, R. Kelly got canceled, canceled because he did all that nasty Mm -hmm. nonsense. Bill Cosby got canceled, canceled. But if you're a leader and if you're generally speaking for the right things and you are and you don't do anything offensive to my humanity and you're listening to other people, like people underestimate just how powerful an apology coming from the right place can be, a commitment to changing your actions can be. Most definitely. I mean, I've seen Shane Dawson apologize oh, like God. four times. <laughs> and four... he still has a channel. He still has millions of dollars. <sighs> this man has apologized for, first of all, I'm not quite sure how how you apologize for pedophilia. Make it make sense. <laughs> I don't know if that's going to make you lose some coins on this. I'm sorry. You should definitely edit that out. No, but... I have. Yeah. But no, I hear I, I, you. <sighs> not quite sure but if somebody like Shane Dawson can do what he does apologize for it and still have a platform still Mm -hmm. have sponsorships a channel money Mm -hmm. etc there's nothing to be afraid of my darling Mm -hmm. (laughs) there's nothing Amanda has little friends old Jeffree Star and all of them all of them Oh my gosh. Just now, but you know what's really messed you know what's really messed up about their apologies, quote unquote, is that the people forgiving them, and I, I'm putting this in air quotes right now, you can't see it, but my air quote fingers be flying. <laughs> like the people forgiving them are not even the people that they <sighs> harmed with their nonsense. Right. Like, who are these little thirteen who are these little thirteen year old white girls accepting Shane Dawson's apology about racism? Like be like, I mean, we still they would be the ones. Yeah. They would be the ones to accept his apology on the pedophilia because. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, surely not the racism. And you know that's that is definitely an issue that I see time and time again, where it's like folks who are in no position to uh, excuse or accept an apology or whatever are in there trying to like say like, oh well, they didn't really mean it like that. And I feel like it's like when some white girl gets canceled on the internet because she said the N-word with her other racist boyfriend and everyone's like, make them lose their jobs. See, I forget which story that was because that happens, I feel like, every weekend. Every week. And then somebody's in the comments like, well, you know, I don't really think she meant it like that. They were just singing a song. First of all, it's not your place. Mm-hmm. It's it's not your place to come in here and try to excuse it or try to make it softer. It's it's not your place. I'm sorry. Right. Are you black? No. Okay, mm-hmm. then be quiet. Thank you. 
But then you always get the couple of people who run it and you're like, ah, yes. Like, like the, oh, like the Herman Cain's of the world and the, oh, what's the name of the surgeon? Ben Carson. Oh. They're mm. like, I'm black and I'm not offended. Like you got those like MAGA Latinos and those, like I'm Mexican or I'm Puerto Rican and I think President Trump is great. Like just running to just get a mouthful of boot. Like. Delicious. And when it comes to those folks, that's when I go back to like, you know what, maybe it's just more important to, again, like, build your own tribe and be mm-hmm. a leader within your own space and your own community around your own friends and family, because you can't save everybody. Yeah. And that's just far too heavy of a weight to try to carry. It's that's no. so, it's very sad when that happens. And you're like, wow, you you have been so bought into this idea of if you just act a certain way that you will be accepted and you will be exempt from whatever violence these people can do to you. Like just so bought in. Mm-mm. Mm-mm-mm. And it's, it's, it's just true. Like it goes back, it goes back to literally what I was saying at the beginning of our conversation. Like some of my most intense oppressors have been people just as oppressed as I was. And they were scared for me and wanted me to conform. And I could never. Exactly. I could never. I don't well, you're know. definitely you're definitely not someone who goes well into conformity. As long as I've known you, you've been well, listeners. I don't know if y'all know this, but with Nikki, you definitely don't know this. We haven't talked about this before. <laughs> When Nikki and I first started working together, she was teaching fifth grade science. <laughs> and we work at we worked at this school together. I still work there. We work at the school where uniforms are a very big thing and structure is a very big thing and they take certain things very, very seriously. Um, but not just it- like your average uniform though. Like not like khakis and a polo. We're talking about like Navy slacks, Tie. bow ties, button-down shirts, okay? Yeah, like a whole thing. But Nikki, how, how did you fare in that environment? <laughs> woo Okay, so we're going into the triggering conversations now. Here we go. The what conversations? The triggering conversations. Oh, I'm sorry. I don't, I don't want to trigger you. Trigger. <laughs> no, 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 it's you. fine. Okay. Okay. It's, it's definitely like a process of healing, and, and it, yes. it's good to like... In my new job and in my new space, I often refer to success because it was such an experience for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm the type of person where if I don't agree with a rule, and if mm-hmm. it doesn't make sense to me, I can't, I can't fake it. I can't mm-hmm. fake the funk. I can't follow along if it doesn't make sense. I'm either going to confront the person who made the rule and explain to them why I disagree with it or if I feel as though that's just far too much trouble and I don't feel like doing that <laughs> I'm just gonna break the rule and mm-hmm. I often did that did that at success I often broke the rules and I often got in trouble for it um which is fine I'm okay with getting in trouble uh I I don't enjoy confrontation but I'm not afraid of it mm-hmm. um and I find that that particular quality about me pushes me into spaces of 
I guess it would be a, a, a sort of leadership role where I end up mm-hmm. being the voice. Yes. I end up being the person to speak. Even like, again, I, I've just started this job and like, we'll go into breakout rooms and we'll have discussions about topics. And then I'm the person who's often volunteered to like, okay, so when we go back to the main group, Nikki, you're going to speak and you're going to share out what we all just talked about. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, me, I just got here. I just like, got here. What? So it's just, I guess that's just the way that mm-hmm. the cookie crumbles. I'm often the person yeah. who is what is being voice yeah. out. What is being pushed into those roles like, taught you about leadership in general for what people look for in a leader? Hmm. Very good question. Thanks. I host a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what has being pushed into these roles taught me about what other people look for in a leader? Is that the, I just want to. Yes, that's the question. Rephrase the question. Okay. That's the question. Um, I would say that they look for somebody who is fearless, but at the same time vulnerable. Mm. And I think that's something that I have made very clear um, because the, the two are actually one and the same. Um, mm-hmm. To be vulnerable, you, you must be fearless. 100%. And so when, yeah. And so when I am speaking and I'm sharing the hard truth about, you know, myself, my past, mm-hmm. my family, etc. Um, they take note of that. They take note of how um, open I am to speak out. And so they're like, mm, okay, that seems like a good leader right there. She's honest. She's vulnerable. She's not afraid to, you know, speak up for what she believes in, what she's feeling. She's not afraid of you know, the candor and the honesty Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes the truth that's a little ugly. So, yeah, definitely that. I think that is a a really good quality of a leader. Um, I I agree that you have some very great leadership qualities. Oh, really? Thanks. And you know what's crazy? I never look at myself as a leader. I really don't. I, I, I try to kind of just like sit back on this one. And it just... Why do you think that is that you don't see yourself as a leader? Oh my gosh, you know when you I was listening to your podcast with Kim and she started speaking about the um the imposter syndrome mm. and I'm just mm-hmm. like me, that is me. Totally totally me. I just yeah. don't think that I am in a space where like I'm of leadership quality. Like I feel mm. like I'm still super young. I'm only 23. I mess up a lot I Mm -hmm. don't know it all I don't have it all figured out and sometimes I feel like I I I might just be the person who needs to sit back and just learn on this one um Mm -hmm. I think it's such a powerful quality in a leader though I just made a YouTube video talking about leadership and how to be a quote-unquote like intelligent follower and how to even when we're not in leadership positions be able to pick up leadership skills and I think that's something you do 100% of the time where you may not have been in a position of power but through what you experienced and how you coped you built those leadership skills and people saw that and that is why people are instinctively looking at you even if you don't have a title even if you don't have all of those necessary qualifications Hmm. because it's about that presence you know and presence I don't think is something that can be really you know rated enough like Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Like I can think back to bosses that I've had in my life where, you know, you, you, you could ha- don't <laughs> at me. Shush. I think boss I've had in my life who've had the title, had the salary to back it up, had the front of the room and all the air in the world to speak, but their presence didn't capture room and their presence didn't inspire a following. And that's like leadership is meaning like as a title is meaningless. It's all about your actions and how well you walk the walk along with talking the talk. Do you think you're born with that presence or how do you, how can I I get that presence? If I don't, if I don't have it, like, that boss that you had that was standing at the front of the room and he's he's not captivating the audience. Like, is there a book he can read? A webinar? Shut up. Shut up. <laughs> what does he got to do? Uh, I'm sure he would have plenty of book recommendations for us. But anyway. <laughs> no, but what I'm saying is, like, I mean, I think back to my childhood and I was a very shy kid. Like, nobody ever believes me when I say this, but literally, like... I did not say a goddamn word like 99% of the time in school, after school, nothing. I just shut up and I read books and I observed and I watched and I, and, and like I said, I was very shy. It showed in my body language. It showed in, I mean, part of it had to do with me, you know, not being really confident in my Spanish abilities. It came from me being uncomfortable with my appearance there were a lot of factors in it, but I definitely don't think I was a born leader. I had a lot of a lot of fear, and mm-hmm. it wasn't until I got older. And I'm still young now. I'm not trying. I'm not a wizened person, but <laughs> I I knew that I had ideas, and there were ideas that I had learned from what I read and what I observed, and just spending a lot of time engaging with my internal world. Mm-hmm. I knew that I had ideas, but I knew I couldn't make them real unless I just stepped up, you know, and unless I just swallowed all of that fear. And I was just talking about this on another podcast episode as well, where there's this we think about the fear cycle and we think about how like a lot of people think of the fear cycle and they say, oh, as soon as I get over my fear, then I can do the action. Or then I can do this thing I've always wanted to do. But it's really the opposite. Like, you are never going to lose that fear unless you jump in and do it first, even when you're afraid. And (laughs) And when you do that action over and over and over again, it becomes habit and you gain confidence. And from confidence in what you do, that is where you lose your fear. And through habit, that is where you lose your fear. And so I think becoming a leader is habit almost. In order to be a leader, you need to build the habit of doing things as a leader. If that makes sense. You have to do the thing again and again. Mm -hmm. Completely agree. I really want to think back on like, when was that first moment that you were like, all right, I'm going to jump in. I'm going to start. Like, what do you think Mm. is the one thing? Oh, did I just become the interviewer? Hold on. Oh, (laughs) hold on. (laughs) Well, I, I, what is the one defining quality that you think you have that would like put the stamp on your, yourself as a leader? 
like the one quality that kind of brands you as a leader. And I have a loud ass voice that you jumped into that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. You know I'm kidding. I do have shy. a loud voice. You were shy and quiet. Oh, absolutely. 100%. Um, so when did you become loud? I became loud when I started to believe the truth of my own experience. Like I started to trust that what I perceived and what I believed was true. And once I acknowledged that, then what logically follows is you need to make sure other people hear this Mm. and they're not going to hear what is true unless they're listening to you. And I also mm-hmm. became confident in the fact that, okay, I have learned a lot. Like, I know what I am talking about. And see, I think that's the problem with a lot of leadership. People don't wait for that step first before they become leaders where they know <laughs> what they're talking about. I knew I knew what I was talking about when I decided to open my mouth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if I don't know what I'm talking about, I, I'll keep that mouth shut. But right. <laughs> right. you know that what I mean? That definitely resonates with me. I think it's it's the same storyline for me. Like, I, I guess in a way, my vulnerability and my my lack of fear when it comes to confrontation, when it comes to speaking up about things that are hard, um, I when I recognized that there was strength in that, there was strength in speaking up about that, there was mm-hmm. strength in not just keeping that bottled up inside mm-hmm. and that other people could reflect on it or see it or be inspired by it. That Mm -hmm. is when I started being even more open and even more honest about, I mean, every little thing Mm -hmm. that has happened in my life. I'm not afraid to speak about it. I'm not afraid to like share it as like an experience of mine that has shaped me in whatever way, because it's a powerful story and the story Mm -hmm. is, it needs to be heard. 100%. And the way that you are telling your story and some of the fearless things you're doing right now, you're expressing creatively. And I think that's, Mm. that's one of the beautiful things about it. It's like when we take our stories and our dreams and our passions and are able to express them in some kind of creative way and are Mm. able to make people's lives better through Mm. that creativity. I feel like that's also a really important kind of leadership that requires a serious lack of fear. Yeah, my creativity is still something that I hold a lot of fear around, Mm. um, whether it's going to be liked or accepted by other people, because when you create art, it is it's it's just subject to criticism. There is no way around it. Very vulnerable position. Yeah. And that's something that's still a little bit hard for me to get over. Mm -hmm. Um, There are so many avenues that I have tried to explore creativity in. And so far, only one of them, or maybe two of them, have made it to the public. Um, Not not that frequently. I mean, I, I do... I'm starting to be more public about my interior design because I'm finally starting to be more confident in that, like, I know what I'm doing and I can make a room look Mm. amazing. Um, (laughs) But like other forms of creativity I have, like with um, singing, I definitely keep that very quiet. Maybe once in a blue moon, once a year, you might catch a little snippet on an Instagram story, (laughs) but super quiet about that as well. Um, uh, And that's, that's hard, but 
What would, what do you think it was about your interior design practice that allowed it to cross that threshold that everything else kind of stays inside? Oh, it's just so much fun for me. Yeah? I think, yeah. I just, like, I have a lot of fun singing as well. But, you know, I'll maybe sing for like an hour and a half or so. And then I'm like, all right, I'm done. But when it comes to interior design, I can do this for hours like I will stay up all night until my eyeballs are burning out of my skull (laughs) um I just I'm so intrigued so fascinated in the way that it has it it can just transform it can transform your mood transform Mm. the space um and I love that and I'm also super super passionate also I think the avenue that I want to go down is interior design on a budget um because I feel like the working class need beautiful spaces too Mm. and because of the power because of the power beautiful spaces have to inspire you to motivate you to yeah allow that dreaming that is necessary for liberation yeah and like definitely we we deserve to have beautiful spaces oftentimes we live in very small run down apartments and Mm. living in that kind of space can be very depressing especially if you're a black woman who lives in the Bronx with her three kids in a one bedroom mm-hmm. um yeah that that mm-hmm. is extremely difficult and I I spent a lot of time researching ways that you can make furniture out of like cheap things that you can get at Home Depot or ways that you can like flip an Ikea mm-hmm. or a Walmart you know item just to make it more beautiful ways that you can I'm also really big on like organization and storage and just like Marie Kondo your life, organize mm. it, get it all together because I tried Marie Kondoing for like twenty minutes. It did not go over. When she's no no, I read her book, but when she started talking about throwing away books, that's where I drew the line. I was like, nah, we're not <laughs> we're not getting rid of books. No, 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 no. But you there is a way that you can store your books to just make it aesthetic. Like it doesn't have to look like this gigantic, like towering bookshelf <laughs> that's about to crumble under the weight. You know, you Calling can definitely make it aesthetic. Like turn your books into legs of a coffee table put a glass on top and like mm, creme de la creme you know like there's so many things that you could do um, you. yeah you're saying yeah. i'm sorry i cut you off because i no, was complaining no, no. about marie kondo <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 it's fine um but what was the question again uh, um why? how did interior design and you were talking about refurbishing things and yes for the working class mm-hmm. yes and so i think that's why um it has made its way to the light um, just because I've just like really found that I thoroughly enjoy this. I thoroughly enjoy learning about it, um, observing it, watching it, doing it, um, mm-hmm. thinking about it, contemplating it. It's for the, I mean, quarantine has really, in, in this way, I am thankful for the quarantine because it's, it's really allowed my mind to just like focus on this and nothing else. It's like the first thing that I think of when I wake up and the last thing I think about when I go to bed. And, and I I love that. I love that. I love the passion. It's something new for me. Yeah. That's how I felt when I started this and started the YouTube channel. The quarantine also did that for me. And now it's something that I'm thinking about constantly. Like if Mm -hmm. I'm not recording or planning, I am, you know, researching, I am thinking about new topics, I am messaging people to see if I can interview them, I'm mm-hmm. like all of these different facets, I'm, you know, looking at gear, I'm, it's something that is very 
inspiring for me. And, you know, that's so important. We have that. We have something in our lives that inspires us right now. Mm-hmm. I love that. Me too. Something that keeps the mind going. You know? And you know what I really love is how when you were talking about your interior design, it, you know, crossed over into the ways it can help people. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think that's one of the reasons, like, when I made this podcast, I was so interested in the intersection of leadership and creativity and how we are creative leaders and how we envelop our leadership and creativity to create new things. And I think that also really spoke to that idea. Like, we were spending all this time talking about how to improve things for our people and how to make the world better and it just seems so seamlessly crossed into your creative practice most definitely we were speaking about how the liberation starts within the self mm-hmm. and yourself is at home so mm-hmm. uh, i think the two of them are 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 connected um and so definitely just having a clean organized beautiful space that you can come home to you feel safe it's a place where you can clear your mind. It's a place where you can create. Um, super, super important. Um, and I think that's just something that I really want to bring to people um, wow. of various levels of income. Absolutely. Well, you have motivated me. I am now going to go clean my apartment. But before I go do that, I would <laughs> like to give you the last couple minutes to plug anything that you want to plug, whether it's social media, a website. Where can folks find you if they want to support you or hear more from you? Um, you can definitely find me on Instagram. I do not have a website coming soon. Coming I, I don't soon. have Stay a website tuned. right now, but it is coming soon. Um, but you can find me on Instagram at Brown Poppy. That's B-R-W-N-P-O-P-P-Y. Um, and if you want my interior design services right now, it's a super small business and it probably won't cost you anything at all, really. So just shoot me a DM <laughs> and um, we can set up a consultation and we'll get your space gorgeous. Amazing. Nikki, thank you so much for having this conversation with me. I feel so invigorated and excited. <laughs> and I love this. I love it, too. I love it, too. And as always, listeners, my name is Ali Fernandez. You can find me on Instagram at Ali K. Fernandez. Also, make sure to subscribe to our Passionately Smashing YouTube channel. Just search Ali Fernandez on YouTube. And as always, make sure you live the most passionate life you can and smash every single expectation in your wake. I'll see you guys next week. Bye-bye.